Oleander. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Check one, check two. This is a song with public domain. Oh, <laughs> Sweet Jackiness. <laughs> Red leather, yellow leather. All right, we got it, we got it. Hey, everyone, it's me, DB, and this guy over here is uh, Baby Yoda. No, that's not it. It's uh, Farmer... Farmer Dave. Farmer Dave, that's that guy's name. I couldn't come up with any other jokes. Not that Baby Yoda was much of a joke. But... That's bad. Yeah. <laughs> How's your week going there, Dave? So I thought you were going to ask how I was doing. Yeah. And, and, and so in my fevered brain... My imagination. There's all our fans. They're all sitting around, you know, the computers. He's gonna say it. He's, He's gonna, gonna say, say it. it. He's gonna say it. I am well. He said <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. He said it. People yeah. sitting at home with their "I am well" T-shirts on. I am well. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. The "I am well" merch is coming. Oh yeah. I am well shirts on their way. I gotta write that down. I am well. Okay. Cool. <laughs> so yeah hey everyone it's another week here in oleander oregon we're we're all doing good new year well we're doing relatively well we're doing well how are yeah, you doing are. dave well you know well okay and, and we've mentioned last week i think you know it's about, it's that people were saying that they were seeing different goats throughout yeah yeah Another goat has been in my property. How do you know I that? I have not seen them, but I can tell because they left their scat. And oh. I hate this that I know this. Scat, but what that I do? scat was not Nubian goat scat. And Even we only have Nubians. Skibidi scat. That kind of scat? No, no. Although, that would be kind of cool, you know, if, you know, uh, there was a... Uh, you know, goats did scat music. No, I'm sorry. Another goat pooed on my property. Gotcha. It didn't belong to me. Okay. Oh, oh. It's probably one of those uh, angoras that are uh, running around town causing trouble. It, it looked like angora poop. Yep. Yeah, no, it's... it's That's going to be my other cat phrase. <laughs> it looked like angora poop. <laughs> so, yeah, some other goats have been coming onto my property. Well, they are still all over town, but you know what? That's, I guess, just... I guess I guess we could be just called Goat Town now. And uh, if we're going to use Old English, we'll just call ourselves Gotham, you know? Mm. Hey! Everyone just learned something that, you know, they probably already learned from a Batman book. <laughs> anyway... Uh, yeah, no, um, things are going well around town. I mean, it's still the pandemic. It's still 2021, you know, 2020, the sequel. It's it's probably not going to be as intense. It's going to be a little bit more interesting, and everyone's going to like it a little bit more better. Kind of like Empire Strikes Cross, Back or Bogus Journey. Cross our hoods. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, um, so... I, I, I've, I've uh, recently found out that Oblivions, not that I've had a chance to try this out yet, uh, Obl- Oblivions is now able to sell alcohol, uh, like not just beer and mason jars anymore, but actually like mixed cocktails, which I don't know. I, 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 
I know you're not a drinker, Dave, but I just kind of feel like, why, why spend the money on cocktails that you're getting at a place that you can't actually hang out and enjoy the ambiance? It's like, make your own drinks at home. It's like... <laughs> yeah, but I, I guess they're supporting, they're supporting uh, local businesses. Yeah, yeah, I know. But it's kind of like, feels like going to, like, the Safeway to buy a, san- a, a, a deli sandwich when you could just make one at home. Anyway, that's just me. I it's one of my pet peeves. Yeah. I think everyone should make uh, I was thinking food. I was gonna go get a Shirley Temple. Ooh, ooh, you know, you know, that's 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 something I don't know how to make. I don't know how to make like mocktails or whatever you call those things. Uh, non-alcoholic drinks. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, one of these days I'm gonna learn how to make a Shirley Temple. I know it's something to do with. I not, think it's just 7-Up and uh, Grenadine. 7-Up and Grenadine, okay. Because I, I was like, I, I know it's not alcohol. But yeah, 7-Up and Grenadine, that sounds pretty good. Uh, yeah, the 20s would have been really messed up if they had named a, uh, an alcoholic drink after Shirley Temple. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, no. The, the, well, the 20s were pretty messed up, but I mean, yeah. it just would have been one more... Uh, <laughs> One more thing about the twenties that was messed up. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So so before we get off of the uh, complete tangent, sure. Did you know that Shirley Temple was a U.S. ambassador? Yes, I did. Yeah, I, I can't remember if it was Czechoslovakia or someplace, but yeah, she was a she was an ambassador, I think, under Reagan. Oh wow, that's pretty crazy. I, I knew that she was an ambassador. Ambassador, I just didn't know when. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh. Let's let's get a little bit back on track. Uh, okay. Another, another thing that is really, really, really cool, and this is not a sponsored spot, but Oblivion's is now doing uh, lunches, but they're doing a very special lunch. It's called a commercial. It's an open-faced sandwich with, like, meat and gravy, and it's awesome when it's this cold out. I mean, granted, you can't sit around and drink beer and, like, watch the TV and eat commercials with a bunch of other, like, guys who've just gotten off work and want to eat commercials. But I don't know where the name comes from, but anyway, someone can look that up. Uh, Capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> but you, yeah, can get, I, you can get them now, and it's great. Um, and you said that uh, Louise has got something going on right now? Well, well so uh, Louise Luau and the Piehole are combining. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and they're making something called the, the Hawaiian Empire. Whoa. You know, and it's like, it's like, it, it's supposed to, it's, it's stacked up, but it, it looks like, you know, whatever that mountain is in Hawaii. Uh-huh. Uh, uh Monolula or whatever, you know, it's got pineapples and cheese and ham and baked ham and and poi and it just it's this huge, almost volcano-looking wow uh, p- uh, pizza. That is really really nice. I love that. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite type of pizza that you like to make, or one that uh, you're a fan of? Oh. Yes, back in California, me and my friends, we would make this pizza. And, you know, it would be like, uh, you know, Hawaiian pizza. Uh-huh. By the way, you know Hawaiian pizzas were invented in Canada? I did not know that. Yeah. That's why that's why, that's why why it's called, uh, that's why it has, you know, ham, Canadian bacon. It's yeah. not, it's why, it, but yeah, that's, they were originally in Canada. But, so it's like a, a Canadian bacon pizza. Uh-huh. But what we do is we put, um. General South chicken on it. Oh wow! And so we would add pineapple, mm-hmm. and then it would be the you know 
we call that the happy panda. Ooh, and then nice. if we just put just put you know general salad chicken on it mm-hmm. and left the pineapple out, it was sad panda. <laughs> and then for between me and my friends, you know that you know someone some didn't, uh-huh. and we do it half and half. You know, so one, it'd have all general salad but half pineapple. Uh-huh. That was the bipolar panda. Gotcha. That sounds fun. That's that sounds like a good pizza. Um, it's actually it, actually pretty good. Yeah. I love chicken on pizza. Yeah, it's a nice one. Uh, one I'm a big fan of, and because they can't eat cheese, this is how I, I, I eat pizza. And some people are like, that sounds terrible. And I'm like, no, no, it's, you know, it's, it's not terrible. What is terrible is everything else about this pizza. So what I like to do is I like to get salami and mushrooms and onions. And um, most places don't carry it. So if I'm doing it, I have to do it myself. Um, and then sauerkraut or kimchi, and then put mm. it in the oven, and it gets all nice and crispy. And oh man, it's even better with cheese, but ugh, cheese kills my guts. So oh, oh, you know what? Um, atomic Pizza, which uh-huh. you know used to be next to um, the the Hollywood. Uh-huh. Oh, they did. Um, they would do. Um, and that's the Hollywood Theater in Portland, Oregon, for people who yeah. don't know. Can't yes. read Dave's brain like I can. Yes, or, or, or who hasn't been to the the Lovecraft Film Festival? Mm-hmm. But yeah, they would make uh, with uh, it would have cheese and it would have sausage and then it would have um, asparagus on it. Huh. Asparagus on a pizza, but you know that was great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a pizza place in Eugene, Oregon. That had a P3. Uh, I can't remember the name of the pizza place, and I don't want to advertise for them anyway. But it was uh, pear pesto and potato, I believe. Mm. And it wasn't terrible. It wasn't okay. terrible. They also had a pizza that I think had gouda and apple on it. That was like really nice. Uh, I think it was like Pizza Research Institute or something like that. Anyway, oh, okay. but yeah, it was one of those kind of like wacky college town places. Ooh, you can get necklaces that actually function as gift coupons and stuff like that. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah. Well, okay, one last pizza before we sure, get sure. back to the show. You bet. So, you know what is incredibly good on pizza? What's that? Goat cheese. Goat cheese, you are correct, sir. Be- because the goat cheese melts at a higher temperature mm-hmm. than the cow cheese. Oh. So. It's more of like a glob. It's almost yeah. like like a cheese salami slice. Yeah, yeah. It, no, it, it doesn't like just mix it. in. And a little Lovecraftian reference here. Like one, we cut like meatballs. We cut them in half, mm-hmm. and then we put goat cheese and, and meatballs, and we called it the fungi from Yuga. <laughs> That's fun. Nice. That sounds like a good one. Okay. So, yeah. So, you know what? 2021 at least brought us pizzas. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. Pizza. Uh, pizzas come back to Oleander. Pizzas never left Oleander everywhere. Yeah. I mean, go to the pie hole. But we've never had such a, a nice combination of uh, two restaurants coming together to uh, create yeah. one massive pizza. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, and for the new year, um, uh, Darcy painted up her drone. That's nice. That's nice. It's all like black widow black now uh, and of course she got the paint from our one paint color paint store painted mm-hmm. black sure but it's like this sort of matte high 
I, can you be matte and high gloss at the same time? I don't think so, but that's what it looks like. It looks like it makes it look like a stealth paint, painting. Yeah. So, or st- like it's painted over, it looks stealth. I don't know if I told you this or not, but I just recently finished a guitar, and I got my uh, spray paint from there. They have black oh. light spray paint, which is really cool. I'm like, Ooh. I walked in there, and I was like, okay, here's a weird question. I know I'm getting some black matte spray paint for something. Do you have any black light spray paint? And they're like, it's black spray paint. And I'm like, sure it is. And I didn't have the heart to tell them that it's not actually black. Black. Yeah. It's it's clear, but it shines purple blue when made with a black light. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway. You but, know, well, also just a new project in the city, but I don't know if you've heard this as, as Comptroller, but... Uh, it, those guys at the, the local police department, uh-huh. and this is a voluntary police department, and those are, those of you who listen to the show all the time, they, you know this, they're basically a, a citizen's watch with samurai swords and AR-15s. Yeah. Uh, but they so badly want a helicopter. Yeah. So they're having a raffle, or an, an auction, I guess you buy tickets or raffle or something, and with um, one of our businesses, uh, local businesses, the gun rack. So the gun rack, for again, those of you who have not lived in Northern Oregon, half of it is a strip club, and half of it is a gun store and shooting range. Uh, so yeah, if you buy the, the tickets and uh, whoever wins, uh, you, you get your choice of uh, an AR-15 or uh, five lap dances. Yeah. Yeah, and I have to say, I have to say, I like it when Louis and the Pie Hole team up a lot better when Oblivions and the Gunrack team up. It's it's like one of those generally ends up with like the town kind of uh, in shambles, while the other yeah. one generally end up with a, a, a nice delicious meal. So, uh, yeah, no, um, oh, go for it. No, we just say yeah. You walk into the Gunrack and the, there's a, a sign right out here. Shooting range right, uh, uh, bar left, and you know not that I ever been in it, so I know what it looks like on the inside. But you know, just, just thought I'd bring that up because I'm full of random facts. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see what's else going on in town currently. Uh, we have uh, the children's exhibit over at A1 Grocery and Taxidermy. So. Uh, so, children's classes on taxidermy and uh, civics. Which, it really, really scared me when yeah. I first heard that that our local supermarket slash taxidermy was having a children exhibit. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I, 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 I saw the apostrophe S, and I was, I was good. I was like, oh, children's exhibit, not an exhibit of children, but an exhibit put on by children. Punctuation yeah. is important, everyone. Um, so, yeah, no, my my day to day has been kind of a living hell because we have so much construction going on in the Civic Center over by Eldridge Town in Old Town, and it's nice they've put up some industrial fans. They're blowing all of the gas elsewhere so they can work on everything. So oh, okay. it's it's like downtown looks uh, kind of nice. It's like, not downtown, Old Town looks kind of nice. It's like, oh yeah, that building's brick, not just a green blob that I see in the distance while I run from that building to that building. 
So I, I, I saw the trucks. I, I, I haven't been down that part of town yeah, in the last no. couple days. So it, I, saw, I saw the trucks driving. It's nice. You can really see all the brickwork they put in in the uh, like early 60s. You can really see the fountains that no one ever gets to use. It's 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 like oh yeah no this is uh, supposed to be a city park that's right. So you can walk around with uh, just a gas mask instead of a class four hazard uh, bio suit. Uh, your skin, buddy, not mine. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, no, uh, still doing that, still doing that, still have the clean room in the mayor's office, and still have all the windows sealed shut. Uh, still haven't seen the mayor. And but everything's Ooh. getting done. Everything's getting paid for. Everything's just kind of lining up and moving on. It's like hyper efficient, and it's like, well, thanks to our amazing comptroller. Uh, I wish I could take credit, but honestly, I just—I mean, my job before was just kind of hang out with the mayor, go to the store for him, run some errands here and there, and you know, just maybe try and make sure there's ways that no. Uh, no one with the last name that rhymes with Foliander figures out how to become mayor. So that's those were officially my job. Uh, you know what my job was. Uh, also, I know where the checkbook is, but I'm not allowed to write checks. So well, uh, that's halfway. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, speaking of halfway, I think right now we are reaching the thir- first, first, first third of the show. Or so. We're not halfway, but we finished the first third. We're third way? Yeah, we're third way. And right now, Dave, you've got an interview with someone. Let, yeah, so, tell me about it. So Scott Owens has made a uh, role-playing game mm-hmm. called Maximum Apocalypse, yes. which is based on a board game, uh, which is like every type of disaster possible. Mm-hmm. Um and it's, uh, you know, it's got kaijus and earthquakes and Mad Max and vampires and time warps mm-hmm. um, all thrown into one. Whoa. And um, you, you can actually order it, um, you know, a PDF or most major game stores are actually carrying the first three books, uh, which is like a, a, a player's guide, a game master's guide, mm-hmm. and then like a monster manual. Uh, so you can get them PDF or a hard copy. But he's also got a new project out, which is coming out probably next month. And it's going to be start out at least only on uh, Drive-Thru RPG. Cool. Uh, where you can get uh, PDFs. Uh, and it is called uh, Beta Red. And it is a cyberpunk uh, with psychics and robots. And it's following sort of the new rule, sort of new trend towards role-playing games sort of minimalistic rules high storytelling cool very cool all right so here's that and after that dave and i are going to talk about cyberpunk not the game but the genre all right we'll see you in a bit folks the Necrocastican, where we blend horror and metal for your pleasure, and ours, with special guests from horror and metal, with host Smoke and Walt Ball, ah! Thomas R. Clark, Mr. Scott Reacts, you don't have to pay for it, which I think is ridiculous. Sergeant Fury Dan Roberts, and Uncle Skip Novak, train, train. and where can you find the Necrocastican, Sergeant Fury? Wherever you get your fine-ass podcast. 
Podcast. Mondays on Project Entertainment Network. Welcome back. You are listening to Radio Free Oleander on KZOM in Northern Clackamas County. And we've got a special guest here, uh, Scott Oz. And Scott, why don't you uh, tell a little uh, people about what you're doing, uh, your new project for this new year. Yeah, uh, thanks. Uh, yeah, so I'm Scott Ewells, uh, as was said. My new projects, so I guess the thing to talk about first to, to understand that is to probably talk about also the old projects, but uh, right now I'm working on some uh, supplements to the Maximum Apocalypse role-playing game that I just got out this last year. Actually, I think everyone finally got a hold of it here right before we decided to start this recording. So, you know, hey... But, uh, yeah, no, so, uh, cut that, I guess. But, uh, no, I'm working on some supplements for the Maximum Apocalypse role-playing game, and then I'm also working on uh, a new role-playing game called Beta Red, which is a cyberpunk game that's quite rules-slim, as they call it. Uh, and then I have a Patreon. Those are my projects for this year, is trying to get that Patreon built up to get stuff out, but also make these supplements and this new game. Excellent. And if you're listening to the Farmer or Dave show, you probably know what a pen and paper role-playing game is. But in case anyway, anybody just sort of turned on and the, the channel and they thought they were getting, say, the, the farm report or the, the goat report, oh, yeah. why don't you let them know what, it, what exactly is a pen and paper uh, role-playing game? Yeah, that's a good question. It's, it's easy to explain if you've uh, seen any of the TV shows that, like, feature them you know like stranger things but the moral of the story is that a pen and paper role-playing game is a is a game that you play with friends where you create a character and you have a person usually have a person that's sort of leading the group and telling a story and the group is sort of going through and reacting to situations as the character and talking in the you know way that their character would talk and sort of dealing with problems uh, and sort of playing out a story together and collectively cooperatively sometimes not cooperatively creating a story together uh, but it's called pen and paper because it uses that that medium it uses pieces of paper some pencils uh you know imagination and some books that's basically what what you have for it and i think it's important that our listeners understand that you're not taking say something existing like D and making an adventure or a module you're no. building this from the ground up uh, you have an inspiration, at least in one of them, but, uh, from another game. But you are basically creating everything—the world, the rules, everything—from the from the ground up. Yeah, I mean, with uh, with Maximum Apocalypse, uh, we were there's a board game by the same name, and and I was working with the game company to essentially take that board game and turn it into the RPG medium, the, the role-playing game medium. Um, from from the board game status, which is actually a lot easier than it sounds, but also quite complicated because board games usually don't contain any kind of world building stuff. They just kind of like, I mean, sometimes they do, but not really. You know, it's like it usually is something like you have four turn or four actions on your turn. You do these four things. Now reset the time dial and move on to the next player or something like that. Right? Like there's like this like very structured system. Um, but so Maximum Apocalypse was based on that. I had to turn it into a more fluid role-playing system. But Beta Red is just 100% just based on the cyberpunk genre as a writing genre, as a literary genre, and turning it into a role-playing game you know, from zero to where we are. 
And, and what what about cyberpunk inspired you to to want to to focus on this this universe? Well, so cyberpunk. Uh, I mean, my first. So first off, my first role playing game ever was Shadowrun, which is a cyberpunk cyber. I think mage might be a way to to describe it. Uh, world. But cyberpunk genre of as a whole has always kind of been an interest to me because it's this like question about where, like what happens when technology does certain things that you wouldn't expect and where would people be without that technology? Like if, if like right now, for example, you, you, Dave, uh, you understand the farm life. You currently work with, uh, you know, and on a farm, whereas I have never done that. And so there's, there's a difference in like understanding for stuff like where does where do base things come from? If if the technology were to turn on us right right now and then we weren't able to use it anymore, uh, I would be worse off for just trying to like survive in my daily subsidies uh, than than you would be. But if like it went the other way, where like technology basically sort of took over everything and like we like machines just kind of ran stuff, um, you and I would have vastly different experiences interacting with that. Um, so and, that and we genre. see that in like Blade Runner. Yeah, we see that in. There's lots of like Blade Runner is a perfect example, a good example of that. Uh, but like, there's a lot of different like stories in the in the in the cyberpunk genre where you can see just how like the question is like, what do people do if technology takes over? How do people react? What does that technology look like? When our lives become so simple, do we devolve? Right? Do we become criminals? Do we basically sit around being lazy? Or you know, do we do we do we turn into like this is just overpopulation because we're just having lots of kids and then we turn into Mega City One? Like, what kinds of things does the world look like if we have this sort of mesh between technology and humanity? And then does does is there two layers? Is there like the rich that have everything and the poor that don't? And the real questions that get raised by Cyberpunk are, are interesting for us because we're kind of in that place where our future is headed toward the cyberpunkian idea from literature right they had these fears and they had these ideas and they wrote these stories and we're kind of headed that way so it's that's always interesting to me like how do you how do you deal with that how do you live in that world and what kinds of stuff do you do if you were stuck in it you know so in in 1989 i was graduating from ucla and my senior thesis was the the future counter uh the future uh counterculture group like the hippies were going to be the cyberpunks and that mm-hmm. they were going to be they were going to be guided by books like Neuromancer and Schismatics in the same way that the hippies were guided by the Lord of the Rings and the Stranger and Strange and Strange New Land. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I did not realize back in eighty nine when I wrote that is technology is not the counterculture. Technology is going to be the culture. Right. Right. There was a there was a, a video. Someone I, I wish I knew exactly, but there was a video on YouTube when I was just crawling around on YouTube recently that had the, made the statement that like cyberpunk as a counterculture was dead, and I was immediately like taken aback. I'm like, oh, how dare you? But then, but then I realized that no, no, that's actually a correct assessment if we think that all of that punkness to it is gone and we just kind of live in a cybered future already. Right. Yeah, yeah. The, the, you know, Tim, Timothy Leary's, you know, saying that uh, that cyberpunks are the, the, you know, the future, and the, and uh, Billy Idol making cyberpunk records. It, it sort of changes now. It's become culture. Right. Yeah. That's just now just culture. Right. 
like everyone has an iPhone and everyone sort of like I, and I think that the the acceptance of technology has made it sort of more like that's why it's more normal but the the punk side of it they're like raging against the the mega corporations and the you know trying to overthrow this this dystopian sort of pseudo utopian look but in actually it's like a dystopian situation for a lot of poor that aspect of it is definitely not part of our current reality and so it's like it's changing and i think you're right i think that they were influenced by that um and i think that there's like it, it kind of leads to this question about like generations anyway because like right now we're like millennials are considered those people that don't stick to jobs you know they they change every five years or something like that and like they always it's like they want to make a difference and they want to do things and i think that's like be, like exactly what you're saying is we grew to that place where that's that's how we live we just live with technology and then we are trying to make a difference but we're not necessarily rebelling against the system so we're... yeah no i i definitely agree with that uh, and and honestly i could talk about and i'm sure you could we could we could spend an entire show talking about we could. cyberpunk we totally could but let's, let's, <laughs> and we'll get back to it uh and we'll probably have it back on more because uh, i think that um cyberpunk is going to be really really sort of popular in the next couple of years yeah but uh let's talk a little bit about your first role-playing game okay uh and the the thing that i really love about this game uh and and i've played it and, and i really enjoy it and if somebody's out there looking for a uh a post you know a popular role-playing game i can't recommend this one enough but it's this it's not just one end of the world so you know i've got you know car wars you know i've got a, uh, a game with aliens invasion this is all of them thrown in with you know kaiju and and zombies so um what sort of and i know you based it on a, a a board game but what was it like to try to destroy the world not once but many times <laughs> Well, I mean, it is based on a board game, but the diff the vision between Mike, uh, who made the board game, and myself, um, we had different understandings of the world, as it were. So it wasn't until after I came along that he started realizing that maybe people wanted to play in a mixed apocalypse world. So for the board game, the core rules, uh, the core set of the board game doesn't allow for the mixing of apocalypses. So it's really just you fight zombies or you fight robots or you fight aliens and that's how it goes, right? You don't mix up the monsters. But when I was looking at it, I was thinking that, like, there was no way that you could have this this game where one time you sit down and play it, you're fighting, you know, you're dealing with these zombies while you're trying to find the cure to the Z virus. But then the next time you sit down, you're dealing with, like, aliens and you're trying to, like, you know, get away from their invasion, like that kind of stuff. And I was like, there's no way that that could happen unless they were all happening at the same time. And so thinking about what it would look like if the whole world just being destroyed all over the place. That was an interesting sort of thought experiment to go down. Like what, what areas would be better like for certain things? Like for example, aliens would probably not invade places like Tibet. I'm just saying they wouldn't because there's not really a whole lot of resources or people there for them. Like if they were looking for like bio, bio organic pieces, like they have to, you know, harvest human organs because they that's why they that's why they abduct people all the time then they're probably going to head to the major metropolitan centers and they can find them in all of the larger cities around the world so that's where you'll find aliens 
But that's also where you'll find like zombie outbreaks because the more people you have crashed in a space, the easier viruses spread, right? And so exactly. it was kind of an interesting thought experiment to think of like where would these things sort of appear? What kinds of effects would they have? And how would those interlace with each other? Um, so yeah, like it, it was fun, but it was definitely interesting. It was definitely sort of kind of terrifying because the more the more I worked on that, the more I had to like look into what certain areas or cities emergency responses might be and some of them are just horrendous like i don't know if you know this but like chicago has absolutely no real response to what would happen if chicago became unlivable and you had to abandon it like the city of chicago has no like evacuation plan like at all so good luck you know <laughs> things like that were interesting to find out now and um with uh, Maximum Apocalypse, that it's coming out three books, right? Uh, yeah, so, so the three books are actually already out. They, uh, they've they been made available for retail people as of um, beginning of January, or beginning of December, rather, um, of 2020. So they're actually available now. There are three books. It's the core book, which has the, the main rules governing sort of players, um, and, and basically the rules and how they work. And then the Monster Manual, which is just a big book of monsters, and also with the motivations on or like our influences that like influenced making of these monsters. So if you wanted to go like watch a bunch of movies about that particular monster, we have like a list of like the some of the things that affected that. And then, uh, and then we have the Game Master Guide, which is uh, like how to create the world essentially, and then like how to make scenarios and some. There's six pre-made scenarios in the Game Master Guide. But then it also has more rules. There's like a rules. The first part is like the rules, but it's like a little bit more in-depth look or like how to manipulate the rules to make certain effects. So it, it like all told, you you kind of want both the player's guide and the GM's guide if you wanted like the full rules and all the different ways to modify them. If you're, you know, certain types of gamers like to do that, like to know all the rules and all the ins and outs and, you know, try to use certain crazy caveats to like make their character cool. Um, so they would need both books, but as a game master, you would need, you would obviously need both. But uh, we tried to make it so that it wasn't just like, a, oh, okay, it's more rules. Like the, like certain games who companies who's, uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to disparage them, but they have game master guides, which are not really helpful. Uh, we tried to avoid yeah. that by making it extremely helpful and like world building helpful. Uh, and then, and then of course, throw in six, six adventures to roll with. So. And, and I and I'll throw out my plug. I, I think that this has one of the best character creation systems of any game I've ever played. So it's, yeah, I mean, I I worked at it, and it basically any type of character you want, you can make a good solid balanced character on that. Mm -hmm. And we have a Discord channel, and uh, there was some discussion about somebody asked how to make like a, a character from one of the Tom Clancy novels, The Division, I think, is what it was. And like people were responding to that because there's like multiple ways to approach that uh, with the character creation system in Maximum Apocalypse. Because you because you stack the the different choices that you make, they kind of go together, and you get certain things, and you lose access to certain things, and that's just how it goes. Um, but yeah. And, and I would say that that and this is is a sort of a neutral statement. This is a very sort of rule oriented game, which is is great. You know, we all need them. But yeah. your your new game, your new cyberpunk game. Is sort of rules minimalist. Do you want yeah. to explain sort of what the why why are and if you notice that's the way I think role playing is going. It's going mm -hmm. much more storytelling than rules. 
was there was that something you were specifically thinking about when you made uh, uh, Beta Red? Yeah, it, it is. So with Maximum Apocalypse, I was trying to outline like rules for every situation, not because I thought that every situation needed rules, but because I thought that I like to think that sometimes rules exist to govern even the game master. You know, like a game master and storyteller are, are cool people in positions, but sometimes it's like hard on them to sort of come up with stuff or deal with things on the fly. So I was trying to create them like the scavenging rules of Maximum Apocalypse. I was like, if I just make a rule that says they do this, therefore they get X, then it would take that out of the hands of the game master. And it was like everyone just knew what happened when they did that thing. Um, which has come back to be really helpful. Like lots of game masters told me that that it's actually really helpful for them to make their game because they don't have to pre-plan loot drops, for example, because I already have scavenging rules and the scavenging rules tell you exactly what happens when you scavenge. Um, but in the case of Beta Red, I was wanting to, to go the opposite direction where I let the players and the game master work together to tell a story because you're right. I think that's where a lot of role-playing games are headed. That's like the trend. But also because I think it was like I wanted to do the polar opposite to make it so that it didn't seem like I made like the same kind of game over and over again, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. But storytelling is like the core of like the games. And so focusing on like more of like the the players say, I'm going to do this cool thing. And the game master goes, yeah, that cool thing's cool. Let's do that cool thing uh, and make that just that cool thing just happens. Um was the change you know and i wanted to, to do that though i will say that in the recent uh, update to the rules it kind of got a little bit more crunchy but i i loosened some other parts up so i think that it balanced out again i'm hoping no i think it's, it's a good choice now uh before we run out of time just one yeah. last thing I'd like to kind of bring up um a few years ago i was uh or listening to a panel by ken Hop. And if you are listening on the audience, don't know Ken Hyde is one of the you know one of the gods of, of role playing. Mm -hmm. uh, he basically did the third generation or third version of Vampire the Masquerade. Yeah, uh, he has this wonderful uh, um, you know Knights uh, Dark Agents, which is basically English spies versus vampires. Uh, wrote something that I used to read all the time whenever I was just bummed out. Uh, the uh, suppressed, uh, oh, uh, suppressed messages, you know, for GURPS, yeah. um, or su suppressed transmission. So really like him. And he said that this is the golden age for self-publishing. Yeah. And, and I think you're almost uh, self-publishing role-playing games. Yeah. And I think you'd almost be the poster boy for this because you, you basically did this from, you know, uh, from the ground up, what are, what are some of your thoughts about self-publishing role-playing games uh, in now? Well, I think it's kind of a. I will say that, that to start off, my opinion sort of feels like it's kind of a double-edged sword in in a way. On the one side, I can make an entire game, uh, come up with the rules, lay it out in InDesign or you know Af Affinity, uh, Serif Affinity, and and you know, have this thing produced and like have this good quality product, put it out on drive-thru RPG and now it exists, right? And it exists in the world. Um, that's like, it's really easy for me to produce that. I can produce uh, as many games as I want essentially, which, which means that there's a lot less of this sort of, you know, big companies sort of maintaining and controlling all of the games that are out there and, you know, publish publications and game, like the whole, 
background of business side of RPGs is sort of loosened up because people like me can just create stuff and get it out there to people without having to go through all these hoops and and, and things. The downside to that is that you do have a lot of people who mass produce relatively low quality work that they can get out there. So that does happen. Um, but, you know, it's... I would say I would agree overall with the statement that it is the golden age of sort of indie self-publishing games because we like Maximum Apocalypse. We just both both uh, Mike and I had had not ever made an RPG before. We didn't know what we were doing. We just kind of were like, all right, well, let's do it. We know some people in distribution. We have these like companies that can highly recommended for publication for printing. Um, so let's let's you know follow up with them, see if we can print it, follow up with our distributors, see if they'll distribute it, and then let's go to Kickstarter and see if we can get it funded. And all of that worked out beautifully. So I would agree that it is like the golden age. It, we went from nowhere to making a game and had it out there. And it exists and people have it in their homes, people are reading it, people are commenting about it. So yeah, I agree. Uh, and, and within the space of a couple of years, too. We, yeah. So I mean, realistically, most of the time it was three years, but most of that time was spent testing it, retesting it, rewriting some parts, going back, testing the new parts, and doing that over and over again. Um, and and we got slogged down a little bit on uh, the Kickstarter only because there were other projects in front of me, and the company didn't want to be one of those companies that was like every month they've got a new project up on Kickstarter, right? Just sort of. Yeah. saturating the market with their products they were they they like to space them out hey everyone it's me db spitzer and this guy over here that's farmer dave C cyber dave cyber dave you and guys can't see you can't see on the computer screen but i got my little wrap around pair shades and black trench coat yeah, my hair's all sticking out <laughs> got a keyboard in his arm now yes <laughs> i've got cyber olfactory sensors and i can smell out my enemy's gun oil and know that they've got a gun hidden somewhere <laughs> dude i love cyberpunk me too me too i've been a huge fan of cyberpunk since i first found out about it Oh, geez, Blade Runner. <laughs> so, yeah, and definitely that is one of the uh, the standards. I mean, it's just amazing that that last scene, you know, when when Roy Batty pulls up, you know, Deckard, you know, says, I've seen things that you people, you know, that's like the ultimate example of a literary character coming to terms with his own death yeah yeah definitely definitely uh, yes cyberpunk is it, it it can be very deep but it can also be so like very shallow as like a movie like johnny mnemonic which is a great short story. Oh, it's an amazing short story. It's a great short. It's basically Neuromancer. It, it, it it's a chapter in the middle. Mm -hmm. It's basically the prologue to to uh, Neuromancer. And you know, there's that scene when Molly is is climbing up the structure, and she's telling Case what happened to Johnny. This is basically the before that. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yes, amazing short story. 
Yeah, uh, any other short stories that if someone's interested in cyberpunk, let's let's throw this part out first. Uh, cyberpunk short stories that you think people should check out if they haven't. So, so here's the problem. Okay, so the the cyberpunk short story collection mm-hmm. is mere shapes. Yes. It's, it's an amazing story. Um, but I, I looked it up for a friend to get a copy now it's like it's about you're going to pay 16 bucks for a paperback alright um, and I, I don't know if um, you know if it's worth 16 bucks or so uh, but um, there is also the collection of William Gibson who, who wrote Johnny Mnemonic uh, but his stories and they're not all cyberpunk stories including he's got his only and I, I forgot the name of it but it's got a really creepy Lovecraftian story in it, and it's called uh, "Oh Burning Chrome." So it has Burning Chrome. Oh yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I was looking. New Rose Hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the one that you're thinking of uh, about the ship that goes off into a? Is, is it the story about a spaceship? So, so that's that's another one there where where the the protagonist is a uh, female Russian cosmic or not mm-hmm. no so the one i'm thinking about is this guy who basically sees this darkness fall people okay in okay. the bar and it starts like soaks up their energy yeah it's been about 20 years since i've read this so <laughs> yeah. but um but also um uh, it, it has burning chrome which is basically about two hackers that are taking down a a, a gangster named chrome uh, and one of his better stories, which was made into like a, uh, a sort of a short movie, uh, New Rose Hotel. Yes. Yes. I, I personally have not seen that one, but... I, I have not seen it either, yeah. but... Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a really good short story uh, collection. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, Burning Chrome, love, I, I, I love that. I um, got into a William Gibson cyberpunk kick, uh, as I said, probably about 20, 25 years ago. And uh, I think then after I, I read some other cyberpunk here and there, uh, other people's fiction, whatnot, and then uh, William Gibson's Idoru came out, and it was just like kind of like even... It was kind of awesome, and I, I love it. But it's kind of Gibson light, I thought. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. I, I feel like Gibson's like I'm gonna write a really big book, but I'm just gonna be kind of like <laughs> just be a little bit lighter about it. Um, spread so, it out. <laughs> so the story I was thinking about it's uh-huh. called the Belonging Kind, uh-huh. and it was co-written with John Shirley. Who, right now, again, that, that sort of Lovecraft type, he's known as a Lovecraft poet. You know, he's making all the Lovecraft sure. circuit. Mm-hmm. But he started out as a uh, he started out as a cyberpunk. Pretty cool. Very cool. Nice. Uh, what other kind of uh, cyberpunk media do we have out there besides just movies and novels or um, any 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 or any like uh, other stories besides like. Like that, that kind of pops into your brain for when it comes to cyberpunk. 
Well, and I think we got to give some credit to the old school. Uh-huh. And it's definitely different. But Blade Runner is based on a story by Philip K. Dick called um, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Yeah. Um, and so is um, uh, so a lot of his stuff is, is proto-cyberpunk. But in addition to that, he wrote um, We Can Remember It For You uh, Wholesale, which was turned into Total Recall. Uh, screamers about these robots that become human-like uh, on another planet, which was also made into a movie. Uh, Paycheck. Uh, so there's a lot of um, the replicant, you know, about a person. Is his memories real or not? So definitely, um, you're going to... Uh, there's one about uh, the day the Mr. Computer fell out of tree, which was about this... Uh, giant computer that basically runs the world and it shuts down basically because um, it's programmers and having sex uh-huh. so you know um, definitely I think cyberpunk is uh, uh, I mean, uh, oh, uh, uh, Philip K. Dick is definitely proto-cyberpunk and I think he carried on a lot followed through I mean they followed through uh, a lot of his ideas followed through to the later writers yeah uh, have you read Snow Crash? No, I have not. It's on the list. It's bought. It's there. It's just, I have not read it yet, but I'm told it's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I did not read it. I listened to an audiobook, and I, I've been told that I should actually read it because I did not enjoy the audiobook because I did not enjoy the reader. I enjoyed uh, aspects of the book, and I was like, oh yeah, no, this is very, very, very cyberpunk. I see how people have been for years being like, you need to read this. And it's like, I did not enjoy the reader's, I don't know, <laughs> tone at times. It irritated me. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it irritated me at times. I was like, uh, I want to get through this story, but I don't like this person's voice. <laughs> okay, well. But um, so- I, I'm sure there's multiple... Uh, audiobooks out there and I'm not just insulting one person hopefully yeah <laughs> you, you know what also a book you can still get um, you know we promised not to talk about um, uh, cyberpunk the game but uh, you know the original cyberpunk game actually made a um, oh an expansion on this book hmm. and that's uh, John Walter uh, Williams um, Hardwire uh, which it, the idea of, of a lot of cyberpunk ideas, uh, like I don't, the Panzer Boys, come from this, where they basically are armored hovercrafts, you know, running supplies across the country. But I first read Hardwired, or the f- two chapters. One of the character is a, a female assassin, um, and her name is Sarah. And so the chap, her introductory chapter, um, it was broken into two uh, different short, or part one and part two, uh, in uh, Omni magazine. Okay. And Omni in the eighties, I mean, that was the, that was the the well spring. I mean, this was the source of pure cyberpunk. Oh yeah. And yeah, I would go, you know, to my local college library just to to read, you know, that month's, uh, you know, Omni. Nice. Yeah, no, I always loved the artwork. The artwork was amazing. Um, Art of the comics. 
the production value in general for Omnios. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think, in a way, Cyberpunk... In fact, I talked a little bit about this in my interview with Scott. I, I, my senior paper at UCLA yeah. was based on that this Cyberpunk movement was going to be the new hippies. And that we were going to that the just as the hippies were uh, inspired by the Lord of the Rings and uh, in by Heinlein, that, that Gibson, Williams, they were all going to they were going to be the, the their books were going to be the spiritual influence of this new hippie movement, the cyberpunks. I wrote my when senior I paper about this, Dave. <laughs> I wrote a oh, paper really? about this. <laughs> yeah, well, probably about the same time I was writing my college paper. <laughs> but um, what I failed to what I failed to realize, uh-huh. and I guess you too, that that high tech and computers were going to become mainstream. It's not going to be like this elite little group of like hippie people. No, it's going to be the whole society. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I, I, uh, I, I. I... I suspected that it was going to start out much like uh, how kind of like punk rock was and then kind of become this thing that became kind of like everyone had like the side of their head shaved and like arm tattoos and piercings and said uh, swears all the time and it just would become part of you know uh, certain things that we found objectable currently would be uh, along with technology with everyone's uh, base of knowledge and everyone's kind of like it's like <laughs> I made jokes about like 10 year olds having access to pornography because of like a worldwide not a worldwide web but like uh, bulletin board systems and stuff like that mm. I, I mean I, <laughs> I also was reading a lot of like Mondo 2000 and Omni magazine and whatnot and like heavy metal and what everything but uh, yeah, no, I did kind of this paper that I got a B minus on. <laughs> I got, I think I got a C plus, but I got it because of my spelling. Yeah, uh, and and I, I, I pretty much uh, like my uh, sociology teacher. He was like the football coach of my high school, and you know he had he he uh, took sociology in high school or uh, took sociology in college, so he was the sociology teacher. <laughs> okay. And he's like, I don't know about this cyberpunk thing that you're talking about. <laughs> and I'm like, don't worry, you will. And then it'll blend into everything so seamlessly that you'll never think of it again. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of feel awesome that I was sort of right, but also at the same time, really glad that I was really wrong because I didn't want to have like a computer pad in my arm <laughs> in my forties. <laughs> give it, um, give it a little bit. Oh yeah, give it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, did you ever play much so, uh, Shadowrun? Oh yeah, no, yeah, no. I, I started into it with Shadowrun. And then, uh, so, so I won't talk about cyberpunk game. Yeah. But let's talk about um, GURP cyberpunk, and, and I think you know where I'm going there. All right. So in, in the '80s, and for those that don't know, GURPS is a generic universal role-playing game. 
and it's designed so you can have a fantasy setting, you know, sure. same rules, modify fantasy, modern, science fiction, whatever. And this was, you know, just like, you know, all game companies have to make a Cthulhu game now. You know, back then everybody had to do cyberpunk. Oh, yeah. And so they were doing their cyberpunk thing, and they created this whole world. And part of it was the sort of the rules that, you know, if you had, you, you stole somebody's credit, you could, or a credit card, and how it, you roll the dice, and you, this is how much percentage you, get, you could crack and get out of it. The Secret Service heard this. <laughs> they did not realize that they were talking about a game. Yeah. So, so yeah. So Steve Jackson's game, which makes GURPS, got raided by the Secret Service, and, and they helped. They helped the the the, the galley drafts up, and, and, and it, it almost they put so much invested in this that they almost went out of business. Wow. Uh, and then finally, it, it did go through. And if you can find some of the original GURP Cyberpunk, uh-huh. it says it has a little sticker or, or a little thing on the cover say the only games uh, taken by the, the Secret Service. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. That's 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 outstanding. Oh, Steve Jackson games. Or no, no. Wait a minute. Was that Steve? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve Jackson. Okay. Steve Jackson. <laughs> Yeah, so that's been pizza, uh, talking with Scott, um, cyberpunk. Sounds like a pretty good, pretty good episode, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one other. So I don't know if anyone could find this out, sure. but in or find it now. But in I think it was 1993. I think it was ABC did a sort of a cyberpunk minor miniseries based on a comic book called The Wild Palms. Oh, it, uh, it, it was directed by Oliver Stone. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought it was Brian De Palma for some reason. <laughs> and, um, and, yeah. and, and, and William Gibson plays, he does a guest spot. And they and it has uh, um, Jim Belushi, I think, was the, the main character. Yeah, yeah. And, and they introduce him. And he goes, oh, you, uh, you're William Gibson. You invented uh, Cyberpunk. And he goes, and they won't let me forget it. Yeah, I remember that feeling really much kind of like a Twin Peaks knockoff and being like, uh, I'm, I'm good. But <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I might have to revisit it, check it out. So I, don't, I, I, don't know it on, he, uh, I don't even know if you can anymore. Oh, I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can. It's going to live somewhere on YouTube. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Speaking of YouTube, uh, we don't have a YouTube channel, but we do. If you look for PGTTCM, Radio Free Oleander, any of that stuff, Black Clock Audio Tales, we're still out there. So look for PGTTCM, Radio Free Oleander, and yeah, no, you can find us. Uh, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we are on Twitter and track us down we'll have some of those i'm well t-shirts up sooner than later and maybe some goats cat who knows uh, t-shirts not actual goats cat you can just talk to goats if you need that anyway thanks again everyone hey, or if you're if you're willing to pay money for it no questions asked just kidding 
Anything else, Dave, before we take off? No, but just do well. All right. That sounds good to me. All right, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>